Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I love it when Paul gets direct. And keep in mind, he's not just writing to a random selection of people. He's writing to a church that he knows and knew well. These are people he was friends with. So when he's writing to them and saying, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer. He's not writing theory. He knows that some of the people in his church, their occupation before they got saved was thief. But God loves them, regardless of their past. That's a big, that's a big deal with God. Because it means that we've all got an open door. None of us can say, well, it's all right for everyone else, but I've got a little bit of a, a secret that I'm a bit ashamed, a bit embarrassed about. Paul just brought it straight out into the open and said, that was then. This is now. And now is a new day. A big, big, massive principle of grace that you, you see all the way through the Bible. And we're going to obviously keep that front and center. However... The subject that we're looking at today, guidance, points us to the fact that it's not just a one-off thing. It's not just a case of one day you're bad and then you hear about Jesus and then you're good and that's the whole story. Life is a lot longer than that, isn't it? Life is a lot longer than one day or one experience or one week or one month or one year. Life goes on. And so we're going to think about the, the concept of guidance and how it might affect us where we are now. It might be a little bit different to what you're expecting. Because I know when I first started approaching this and Pastor Greg recommended a book, which I will pass on the recommendation. He's mentioned it a couple of times, The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Uh, it's actually a book that... Uh, we were recommended to read and study when I was doing my theological training a few years ago. So it's probably about time I got a copy, really, wasn't it? Only, only about 12 years too late, but never mind. Uh, but some of the thoughts, some of the ideas from that, that will be a little different. They were a little different to what I was expecting. And I'm sure you'll find the same as well. I was going to use an illustration. It was the first one. It's, you know when something comes into your mind and you think, it's like, I want something simple, something that makes the point. And I thought of this, and then afterwards I thought, it doesn't really work, but I'm going to do it anyway. Because I was going to say, right, jellyfishes will never win an arm wrestle, will they? Because they're made of jelly. Not literally jelly, so don't eat them. But they've got no rigidity, they've got no strength, they've got no skeleton. 
I then realized you've also got no arms as well, which is an, another difficulty, but that, forget that side, just concentrate on the jelly. And that is what, when we're looking at disciplines, discipline is all about. It's the skeleton of our spiritual life. It's the thing that enables us to have a measure of strength and structure that without, we wouldn't be able to progress. I love discipline. I, I love the fact that through discipline, you can get from here to there, even if there looks like it's an impossible thing because you can do one step at a time. However, that's not what we're talking about because that makes it sound like it's all our doing. If I try hard enough, if I keep practicing, then I'll get a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better, and eventually I'll get to where I need to be. And that is true of lots of things in life. And it's a good lesson to learn in life. But it's not what we're talking about now. We're talking about the power and grace of God to do things in our lives that we could not do for ourselves because we wouldn't even get it. We wouldn't even understand it. We wouldn't even be aware of it. So let's leave the jellyfish behind. I'm going to throw a few questions. You can shout out. You don't have to do... Well, you can do hands up if you're polite. But you can kind of shout out as long as you don't all shout out at once, okay? Uh, how often does, does God speak to you? Dennis, anyone? <laughs> don't worry, I'm not going to check. So you can just say anything, really. Anyone got any suggestions? How often does God speak to you? I'm not going to pick on anyone else now. Everyone's thinking, oh, I'm going to sit lower in my seat now. Dennis, Dennis likes to feel involved, so I don't want to miss out. Anyone going to give me any ideas? Every day. Oh, you're so good. Anyone else? Oh, good answer. I'm gauging the spiritual depth of my audience here. So that I, I don't want to be aiming too low. If I think everyone's more spiritual than me, I'm going to have to up my game a little bit and, and aim higher. So, so far, we've got every day, every time we open, I've got a high bar. I'm going to, change it. I'm going to have to go to Sermon B now, right? When he needs to. I'm starting to feel a bit embarrassed now because when I was asked that question in a similar situation to this, I did the thing where you go, well, you know, not as much as I'd like him to. You know, God doesn't really, you know, it's not like he speaks to you every day, is it? And then they said, why not? And I thought, oh, no, I've gone for humility when I should have gone for spirituality. I've obviously <laughs> aimed completely wrong here. The truth is all those answers encompass something of what is right. God does speaks to us when he wants to, when he needs to. He speaks to us when we read the Bible. He wants to speak to us constantly and continually. The big problem is that we don't always hear him for a whole range of reasons. And one of those big reasons is we stop expecting. We don't expect God to speak to us, so we don't listen. So when he does, we, we kind of miss it. Here comes a diagram. I'm actually quite excited about I always get excited about art. It's a short-lived excitement. It's all about the build-up. 
quickly followed by the disappointment. But here we go anyway. Is anyone familiar from the small groups that they're a part of with the, the learning circle? You can put your hands up to this. It would help if everyone at the back was very familiar with it because you might not be able to see my drawing, but that's okay. I was going to say what I could do. Young people, I love this. What I could do is when I draw it, because you won't be able to see it at the back, I could take a picture of it on my phone and WhatsApp it to you. I know what WhatsApp is. <laughs> but then I realized I don't know anyone's number, so I can't, that's not going to work at all, is it? So, but just so you know that I do know what WhatsApp is, the fact that I'm about to draw on a whiteboard does not mean that I'm still living in the 1950s, okay? Did they have whiteboards in the 1950s? No, no. Right. The learning circle. Part one of the diagram, the straight line. Kind of straight. See that? That represents life. You're going along in your life and then something will happen. An event of some kind. Maybe something really good. Maybe someone says something really encouraging to you. Or someone actually comes up to you and says, I've got a word from God for you. Or maybe some kind of experience. Something traumatic. Something upsetting. It could be anything, but something happens. When this thing happens, That's my impression of a circle. I realize it may not be completely round, but just imagine it is, okay? Just use a lot of imagination. Because what this describes is learning circle. It's not really a process. It's a tool to understand how we can get better at not missing what God might be saying to us through something or someone impacting our lives. Unfortunately, I'm about to step into the realm of writing. So again, you may need to use your imagination. Some of these letters may not appear to, to be correctly configured in the right order. No, I, I need someone to teach me how to write. But I appreciate that possibly might take more than 30 minutes. So just, just bear with me and trust me that these words are actually what I say they are, not what they might look like. There we go. Observe, reflect, discuss. Now, I appreciate if you're going along in life and something happens, you're not probably going to sit down, go through and think, right, let's observe what's just happened there. This is just describing the process that you go through in a lot of detail. Probably a lot of the time this might happen very quickly, but the reason we're going through it before we even start in the introduction is that by not doing these things, we miss 
what God is saying. We sometimes miss the point of things that God allows to happen in our lives. Because do you ever ask yourself why with stuff that happens, particularly with hard stuff? You know, something tricky, something bad happens, and you, you just think, God, why was that? That's not a bad question to ask. It's not a bad place to be somewhere as long as you expect God to answer. Because if God lets things happen, if God sends something into our lives sometimes or someone, there is a reason for it because God is a good God. I've broken the mic. Oh, I fixed it again. So first of all, something happens, we observe it. We take notes. We then reflect on it and think about it and we say, why? What is, what is that there for? Why did that happen? Why did so-? And sometimes it's obvious. If someone gives us a word from God, it's kind of obvious because it says what it says. And then, an important thing, we discuss. This is the bit we're going to come to a little bit later on that so often doesn't happen. So often, something happens in our lives, we think about it, we worry about it, we get frustrated with it, and we've got no one really to talk to about with it. No, no one that's the right person to say, let's pray together about this, let's fathom this out, let's see where God is going with this. When Jesus began to, to preach and introduce the most radical message the world had ever seen that was going to turn all of human society upside down, he started by saying, or telling his disciples in some cases, repent and believe. Two halves of a very important... <laughs> you know that say, it's behind you, it's not even Christmas. That, is that good? Can, can you actually see it at the back? Really, it help, it's helping me remember you see. So don't worry if you can't see it. It's, if you can't see it at all, it looks much better close up. If you can see it at the, at the front, you know that that's not true. It doesn't look much better close up at all, but sorry about that. So, so Jesus proclaimed that people needed to repent and believe. Two halves, if you like, of a, of a process, two parts of a whole. That first of all, something happens that causes us to reflect. And potentially, because the word repent actually means change of mind, change of approach, change of direction. Get ready for something to change. And the second half, believe, repent and believe, that's where you act. Something about the change demands that you behave, act differently. You repent, you believe. There's a consideration of what's, ha- what's been said and then there's a change arising from that. And in that, there's the idea of planning. That's what that, that word actually does say, plan. For those of you who are still in education, plan is spelled P-L-A-N. I appreciate that doesn't look like that, but I'm sorry about that. But that, that's plan. Then it talks about account, and then it talks about act. You plan what you're going to do. God's spoken into your life. 
you've reflected on it, you've observed, you've discussed with someone the consequences, and now you think, right, I need to do something about this, so you make a plan. And part of that plan is you say to your friend that you discussed it with, right, I need to start praying every morning. So at the end of the week, check with me and see how I'm doing. And then you act. Dead simple. I appreciate that you probably don't do this in that way using these headings. I don't. It's just described. It's a way of understanding what actually happens. I'm going to put that down because I'm getting cramp in my arm. Does everyone like my drawing? Really? Right, okay. If I realised I was working with such low expectations, I wouldn't have put so much work in. Right. So this, this process, this, this thing, in some way, God impacts your life. Then you reflect and observe. Then you, as much as need to, discuss it with someone and decide what you're going to do next and arrange with that person that knows you well enough that they're going to encourage you and check with you and then you do what you've agreed to do. Simple, isn't it? But there's a couple of key stages in there that are quite tricky. Discuss and be held accountable. And that basically is the gist of a lot of what we're going to talk about today. I thought when I picked up this topic that I was going to be preparing something on the different ways that God guides us. That it will be talking about prayer and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, words of knowledge and words of wisdom. That's where the Holy Spirit actually puts supernatural words of knowledge into someone's mind. For, you know, for instance, you might be dealing with someone in a difficult situation. I remember an occasion where at the end of the church service in the previous church building, I may have told you this story before, but you're getting it again, so that's, you just live with it. Right. Uh, and at the end of the service, someone came for help, as people sometimes do, and the gentleman in question was asking for some money. And I prayed and said, Lord, you know, what, what should we do in this situation? Because you don't automatically just give people money. You try and understand what the situation is. You try and be generous, but also wise. And I felt, as the gentleman told me his story, that he needed to get back to Warrington and there was difficulties. Uh, an unlikely set of events had occurred and meant that he now needed this money. And as we were discussing, I was praying. I felt the Holy Spirit say, yeah, get him a train ticket to Warrington. Don't pay with cash. Pay on your card. Okay, God, that's a bit of a weird, you know. That. So off I went with this gentleman, went to Hamilton Square Station, got him his ticket, had a little chat. I think I may have offered to pray with him, and he said, okay, so he prays, and off he went on his train on his way. And... I walked away, and I'm kind of thinking to myself, Lord, what, what was that about? And as I got back to Hamilton Square, I felt the Holy Spirit say, just wait. So I waited. And a few minutes later, the man came out of Hamilton Square Station. I thought, that's unusual, because normally, if you go into Warrington on the train, you actually do need to get on the train. But anyway, 
So he, he came back, and I, I said, oh, hello. And he looked suitably embarrassed and said, hmm, oh, there, there's a fire in the train station. And they told me I had to go to another train station. I said, do you know which one? He said, no. I said, let's just go back and check then and find out which one you need to be going to. So I went back to the train station. And as I walked into the train station, the people, the man at the ticket, in the ticket office there in Hampton Square said, I've told you, not to me, obviously he would be much politer to me, I've told you we can't give you the money back for your ticket because it was bought on a card, not with cash. So I said, I've got that card. <laughs> So he gave me the money back. Thank you, Lord. But then I had a chat with a gentleman who actually said, no, I don't live in Warrington, actually. I live in Birkenhead. I had a big, massive problem with heroin. We prayed together. We talked about that. And then life went its separate ways. And I hope that that experience with him spoke to him as much as it spoke to me about the detail of God's guidance that the Holy Spirit wants to give us detailed, step-by-step guidance in practical, simple ways because I wouldn't have known otherwise what to do. I would have just given him some money. He would have gone on his way. I would have been none the wiser. He would have had his money and thought, great, and that would just be a normal day. That's the kind of thing I thought that I would be instructed on or instructed by this morning when we're looking at guidance and I was quite surprised to find that's a tiny part of a much bigger picture and when we're looking at the discipline of guidance there's a whole area that I'd never really considered before another little question I'd like to get a bit of interaction going I asked you before, how often does God speak to you? Can people just give me an indication of the different ways in which God has spoken to you at some point in your life? So feel free just to shout out, wave, write it on a thing and hold it up if you're... Anyone going to give me any starters? Signs? Feathers? Do you know... I always think when you do this, there's always a danger that someone's going to say something really strange. <laughs> but good strange. That's not unusual. A lot of people, this is, this is true, a lot of people I've spoken to, God has spoken to, to them through something on the side of a bus. God's very creative. Yeah. Buses and feathers, two things I didn't think were going to be in the list, but thank you. Now, at the end of the service, feel free to go downstairs into the cafe, spend some time together. Maybe you might want to ask someone, what's with the feathers? <laughs> feel free to ask afterwards and find out. I want to encourage you to partake in fellowship, so you'll have a cue. <laughs> Anyone got anything else? See if you can top that. Oh, no, here we go. I should not, do you know you regret saying something? Go on. During prayer. Cue we're back on safe grounds. Yeah.
Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely true. And I think when we're praying together in a group, that's going to tie in. That's such a good link. Oh, I, w- I wish that would come up later. Can you say it again? No, don't, don't, don't do that. <laughs> but yet yeah, that, that corporate praying and then getting a sense and a guidance and maybe through scriptures. Any, anyone else, how, different ways in which God has spoken to them? Go on, Tim. Thoughts, yes. I thought you said dots then. I think you're like, dots? Thank you. Thank you for saying thoughts. That's a good one, a good answer. One that I understand. Thank you very much. When you're in need. Yeah, yeah. God can speak to us by directing us because of the needs that we, definitely, yeah, yeah. Anyone else? Still small voice, yeah. Something that's more than maybe just your thoughts, something that interrupts your thoughts even, yeah. Jeff? Yeah. Circumstances just matching up. All of these things, even the feathers, I'm not sure how, but even the feathers, all of these things are those little crosses on the line where we're going along in our normal day-to-day life thinking everything's just a normal day, nothing much is going to happen, what am I going to have for tea, can I get away with that second bar of chocolate without Leslie finding out that I've eaten a bar of chocolate, I need to make sure I put the wrapper in the bin, not just in my pocket, because otherwise she'll say, why have you had a bar of chocolate and not shared any with me? And I'll have to say, because I'm thinking of you. And she says, why are you thinking of me? What do you mean? What are you trying to say? And I have to say, I didn't mean that you have to lose weight. What I mean is, let's, oh, look, it's a squirrel. And we never have those conversations, really. But we're going along an ordinary day, not expecting anything. And suddenly, one of these things happens. And what should happen when these moments occur is that we should then go into that process of reflect. We've observed it. Reflect about it and think, what, what was that that God just said? Why did God speak that into my life now? Who can I share with about this? I, need a, I don't quite understand it. I don't quite get it. I need to do something about this. I need to make some kind of plan. Maybe my friend can help me by checking out that I'm growing in this plan. And yeah, let's do it going through that process. But an awful lot of the time, we have these experiences, God breaks in, God speaks, and we say, wow, that was good, that was encouraging. Right, so what was I doing then? What was I I having for tea? And we move on without actually hearing in the way that God wanted us to hear. God deals with us intimately and personally, and all these things matter. Not every one of them is life-changing, life-shattering. Sometimes it is just to encourage us, just to keep us going. But we do need to listen and expect God to speak continually. Because that's, that's what he's got for us. He's our good father, and we're his children. He wants to speak to us continually. God personally and intimately interacts with us. However, here's a quote coming, not from the Bible, not from me even, 
because obviously that's not really a quote, it's just me speaking. Uh, this is a quote from Richard Foster from the book Celebration of Discipline. God does guide the individual richly and profoundly, but he also guides groups of people and can instruct the individual through the group experience. Can we turn to Acts 13, just the first three verses? I love this. It's always been one of my favorite bits of the Bible. Has everyone got it? If you haven't got a Bible, by the way, I'm, I'm doing it properly now. If you haven't got a Bible, by the way, if you'd like to see someone in our start lounge at the end of the service, and we'd love to give you one, there are some free ones at the back there. But in the meantime, it's probably behind me. Or there's a plate of bacon and eggs. Do you know, I've just realized I haven't given the Bible verses to the people on the sound desk this morning. Sorry, everyone. Sorry. Can I quick clap the people on the sound desk? Doing a great job. Sorry. Acts 13, 1 to 3. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, I just made that pronunciation up, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So, after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Saul, who went on to be called Paul, we know was a persecutor of the church, a murderer, a man filled with hate directed in a religious direction. And we know that Jesus broke into his life, totally turned him around, miraculously changed him in just about every way imaginable. He then went through a, a period of time where he was really getting to know Jesus on an individual basis. We don't know a lot about what happened to him for the next three years, but we got little glimpses. And then this man Barnabas went and got Paul and brought him back to the church in Antioch because he recognized that this man had something to add to what was going on in the church. So he'd been a believer at this point in time, probably four or five years. So newish, but not brand new to the faith, if you like. And he'd spent a year or so in the church in Antioch, and then he'd been sent with some gifts to the church in Jerusalem because they were really struggling. They had famine and so on, and they went, Antioch went to help them out. Came back, and this is the point we pick up the story. So it's a normal day. They're meeting together. They're engaging in the spiritual disciplines to give their life structure and strength, and they're worshiping together, not as individuals, but together. So they've committed time in worship. They're also fasting. Remember, Pastor Karen brought some teaching on that at the beginning of the series, on the, the, the role and the importance of fasting. They weren't 
necessarily from what we can tell, saying, Lord, what should we do with Paul and Barnabas? We need your direction. They were just worshipping, fasting, praying, saying, Lord, whatever you want to speak to us, help us to hear it. And lo and behold, God spoke to them. Now, the context seems to suggest that this wasn't as often happened where somebody would get up and say, I have a word of prophecy from the Lord. This wasn't that. This wasn't the gift of prophecy speaking into a, a group of people. This was God speaking to the whole group. People in that room, in their thoughts, or in whatever way God spoke to them, because we all heard the different ways. I'm guessing there's no mention of feathers, so I'm guessing there may not be any feathers in this particular one. But in some way, through the, the still small voice that Grace mentioned, God spoke to all the people in that room, and they all knew, right, we're sending Barnabas and Saul out as missionaries. They were valuable to the church. They were helpful. They were good teachers. They brought something to that church, and suddenly they were being sent. The thing I like about it, or not like about it, because it always worries me, because maybe God might do it to us, you never know. God didn't seem to tell them where to go. How cool is that? Just send them out. Get out. And Paul and Barnabas went off on their first missionary journey that was a part of the Holy Spirit leading men to turn the world upside down. God spoke to the whole group. A little bit later we read of a controversy in the church, a massive issue in the church where some people believed that if you became a follower of Jesus, you also had to become a better Jew. And if you weren't Jewish already, then you had to become Jewish and become a better Jew in order to follow Jesus. It was kind of, you can kind of understand where they were coming from because at the beginning, every one of the believers was Jewish as well. So you can, you can see where they were coming from. But now in Antioch, you had all these people that weren't Jews but were also now following Jesus. And there was a bit of a controversy. So they had to have a discussion about this. They had a debate. They didn't paper over the cracks. They didn't pretend that they had different understandings. They worked it out through prayer, I'm guessing through fasting, until they reached a common understanding. And we see that at the end of Acts chapter 15, where they made their decision and said, this is what we're going to do. You don't need to become a Jew, to follow Jesus. The door has been opened both to Gentiles and to Jews and both have their place that cannot be changed in God's plan and God's purpose in God's kingdom. Another quote from Richard Foster. It was more than a victory regarding an issue. It was a victory of the method used in resolving all issues. As a people, they had decided to live under the rulership of the Spirit. They had rejected human totalitarianism and anarchy. They had even rejected democracy, that is, majority rule. They had dared to live on the basis of spirit rule. No 51%... No compromise, but spirit-directed unity 
and it worked. The unity that they held on to was firmly rooted in their understanding of the mission of their lives. They knew they had a mission, a purpose. They were called to do something. And therefore, they were willing to be, act, think, pray, direct their lives in unity. Wasn't always perfect. There were times when their differences were such that their unity was broken. In that very same chapter, Barnabas and Saul, who was now Paul, split and went their different ways because they couldn't agree on a personal matter around one of their co-workers because they were human, just as we are. But most of the time, and certainly in the wider setting of the church, the unity meant that where there were differences and disagreements, believers were able to say, I don't agree with you. Let's pray on this until we reach the correct understanding because one of us will change. All of that unity flows from humility. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Consider others above yourself. When no one is saying, my opinion is so right and so important that I will never change. They were always willing to listen to the greater voice, even if the voice that they heard contradicted the opinion that they held. Hands up who's got opinions. Really, some of you haven't got opinions. Hang on, hands up, hands up who hasn't got any opinions about anything. Right, we need to give that man some counseling in the back. <laughs> Let's be honest, we've all got opinions. Some of them are okay, some of them we know probably need a little bit of attention. But this idea of unity, this idea of being of one mind necessitates us being willing to set our opinions to one side and seek to follow God's opinion, not our own. Do we appreciate and live to our mission or calling? Really is the bigger question. I've got one final point to make, and it's kind of a sub-point. I was hesitating whether to even include this, but it's in the book. So you have to include it if it's in the book. I mean, Richard Foster's book. It's not, not the Bible. Obviously, it was in the Bible. I put it in as well. There was a time in Christian tradition where people had, or it was very common to find that people worked with what could be described as a spiritual director, someone who would be there to give guidance, someone they could go to to sound things out. And it's something that I guess has really fallen out of favor. You don't really hear about it nowadays, probably not for the last 100, 200 years. Because we've got very much a, a fear and a suspicion of authority. Has anyone got that fear and suspicion of authority? 
You, know, you could get someone up at the front with a microphone in their hand just talking and you think, oh, a bit suspicious of him. He could say anything with his crazy drawing. And there's this idea of we've got these rights that we can all live by and therefore my opinion is as important as anyone else's. What I've got to say, my voice needs to be heard as well. Democracy and everyone having it, all of that kind of seems logical, doesn't it? You know, all over the world, people fighting for democratic rights. It kind of comes into how we see right and wrong. I want to point us in a different direction to all of that. Totally against the grain, totally against where instead of saying, well, let's listen to every voice and give every voice equal volume. Let's go the other way. Let's start stilling voices and saying, Lord, what are you saying? How are you guiding? And that's really tough to do on your own. It's tough to do as a group, but it's tough to do on your own. As a group, for us to be able to say, Lord, speak to all of us so we can all be sure of our calling in you. We can act together. We can be in unity. We can observe what you're saying to us. We can reflect upon it together. We can talk about it with those that we trust and are close enough to us to talk with it about. We can plan what we're going to do about it when we know you're speaking into our lives. And then we can hold each other accountable and say, how are you going with this? And we can act and obey what the Spirit is saying. Because without a doubt, the Holy Spirit has been and is speaking to us as a church. If you feel you're not hearing that, I would suggest we need to be more a part of a body so that we're not missing the things, because God is speaking into your life, so that we stop missing the things that he's saying and start being able to go through that way of responding so we can all hear together. And then, having heard together, we can obey and respond together. Thank you very much for listening. I've got one question to leave you with. You don't have to answer this one. Uh, who, at this time, are you in relationship with to such an extent that you will be able to do those things with? That when something happens in your life that you feel may have a meaning behind it, God may be speaking to you in some way, who are you in relationship that you can actually talk that over with and say, what do you think about this? Who are you in relationship that you could say, listen, I think I need to take this step. Can you help me, not just by praying for me, but can you hold me to account? Can you come back to me next week and see how I'm doing? Have you got people like that that you're in relationship with that they could do it for you and that you could do it for them? Because if not, I would suggest we need to look at re constituting our diaries a little bit and making sure that we find people that we can have that kind of relationship with. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the way that you have made us into a body. 
Thank you for the unity that we have. We so often don't appreciate what you have done so far, what you have established here in this place so far. But Lord, the truth is you have brought together a people with a calling and a mission. And Lord, we've also got a heritage as well, a foundation. So thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. But Lord, looking ahead, rekindle the passion for obeying your word that we need to have. Give us the, the frameworks, the relationships, that as a body, in unity, we can walk together, being not just hearers of your words to us each day, but Lord, when we hear the small, still voice, help us to seek to understand and to do what you say, because there are good reasons for what you're saying to us, Lord. Amen.